Welcome to the Unlock Podcast, your once or twice weekly informational podcast on all things lockdown management related. We hope to help you get through what you need to get through so we can keep it together while we social distance apart. I'm Jed Akuzar. I'm based in the Philippines. And I'm Jantina Fong Nigaman. That's N-I-G-G-E-M-A-N-N, a Filipina based in Hong Kong, and we are your hosts. Welcome to the Unlock Podcast, Anna. Hi, Jet. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. I'm really excited about this episode because this is the yummiest conversation. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be the yummiest episode most appetizing. so far, talking about food. <laughs> yes, most appetizing. <laughs> I wanted to start off by asking you where your love affair with food began. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, my love affair of food began at a very young age. I think I was about 10 years old when my mom bought herself, um, I think, one of the first kitchen aids <laughs> that ever came. Wow. Um, it was like um, about 40 years ago. Um, the mixer came with a kitchen aid cookbook, sort of like a manual. And, you know, I, I, it was my first time to, to look at, you know, something like that, a cookbook. And, and, and this machine was right before me. So I, I was looking at the cookbook and I said, ooh, chocolate chip cookies. So I think this looks simple. And um, I decided to follow the, the, the manual step by step, making chocolate chip cookies. And the cookies turned out really delicious for, for somebody who did it for the first time. I was so proud of myself. You know, um, it boosted my confidence. It made me a very happy person. And um, believe it or not, to this day, I still have that 40 year old mixer and it still works perfectly, you know, perfectly fine. Amazing. Yeah. So that's, I think Ooh. that's where it started. I, I, for that I saw, like I was able to create something, you know, from, from nothing. And it turned out mm-hmm. great for me. And I, I was just, it just boosted my confidence. It made me, you know, it just made me happy. I was hoping to ask you about how you feel about our personal relationship to food during this pandemic. Mm-hmm. I mean, the very title of this episode, Comfort Carbohydrates, um, you know, it's a play on complex carbohydrates. What do we need most to nourish us right now? Well, besides taking care of your body, which is very important, um, given what's happening right now with the pandemic, I think it's also very important to make sure your mind is well nourished. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're dealing with very difficult and uncertain times. And if we are not taking care of our psyche, of our emotions, you know, this will take a toll on us. And uh, and this will prevent us from being able to face the challenges that we face on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, besides physical nourishment, again, as I said, I am a strong believer in spiritual nourishment. Mm. So I'll say it again, prayer and meditating on God's word are very important to me. It really gives me the strength and the nourishment that I need. Personally, I don't know how related this is, but I found it so comforting eating my mother's adobo mm-hmm. for like for three days straight, every yeah. meal, literally. Like for breakfast, I would add an egg. For lunch, I would make it into flakes. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, what do you think that is? Like, you know, I'm like you. Um, when I like something, I I, I eat it until I really get tired of it. Mm-hmm. Oh my, <laughs> it, I'm like that. It's just it, even if it's a, 
fried simply simple fried fish fried same danggit my god fried pampano like for like three weeks i can go straight and till i'm tired of it but you know i believe that your um that your body wellness is directly tied to your mental health as well so Mm. if your body feels good and comfortable um that will translate to your mind and emotions being at ease as well so i think it's also very important to take care of both your mind and body since they work hand in hand. So, um, do you, these I mean, things but... help. I mean, comfort mm. food and all these things. Um, it, it's, um, it, it satisfies you also. It, you know, it feeds into your emotions as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Why do you think that there have been quite a few people obsessed with baking bread and other carbohydrates lately? There is a meme going around that mm-hmm. banana bread has been declared Time Magazine's person of the is, year. Is it for real? <laughs> I don't know, but it could be right. <laughs> okay, um, I I see a lot. Um, I see mm. people baking bread every day, um, day in day mm-hmm. out. Um, I think a big factor here is accessibility. You know, mm. the ingredients and equipment needed to bake bread and follow carb-related recipes are more readily available. It's you can buy everything in the supermarket. Mm-hmm. But I think a big part of it is that is, is the comfort. You know, mm-hmm. um, baking and the sensations it brings can be very therapeutic. And mm. um, it, it also requires a lot of um, patience and creativity. And I now with people spending more time at home, it's become a go-to pastime. And, you know, mm-hmm. there's really nothing more satisfying than smelling um, freshly baked bread out of the oven. It just is so comforting. I don't blame them for, <laughs> for doing all this during the crisis. Pandasal is so easy to make. Why not, right? Would you say that food is a good antidote to fear? Definitely, yes. Um, good food is one of the things that makes life worth living. And that's so true. <laughs> yeah, diba? And especially in trying in, in, in trying and very fearful times like these, the comfort of eating food you enjoy in moderation and making sure that you're eating the right food that will keep you healthy will be great uh, to combat mm-hmm. anxiety and mm-hmm. and really um, um, uh, combat fear and stay mm-hmm. sane this whole time during the crisis. Where did the name Wildflower come from? It's I think it's one of the best restaurant names. <laughs> Okay, wildflower is really, it's a play on words. Um, Because Mm. um, especially since uh, me and my sister Margie, we wanted to put up a bakery cafe where a lot of the components on the menu had flour. Even savory food had flour. So we decided maybe it it started with flour, but there there was another restaurant called Flour in in, in the States. Until it, it, I don't know, it it just morphed into wildflower. So it's it's uh, something that my sister actually thought of. And um, I think it's also to show that a lot of our stuff is made with flour and everything is baked mm-hmm. in-house. I wanted to ask you what you think the word delicious means. Delicious is something that you can, I think it's something that you can consume and it just puts a smile on your face because it just satisfies you. It gives you comfort. I think that could be delicious. <laughs> you talked about the cookies from the KitchenAid cookbook mm-hmm. cheering you up and making you feel happy and good. I 
I want to ask now, what do you like to make at home when you feel like you need a little cheering up? Because I think we all could use a bit yes. of cheering up right now. You know, um, my, my, I come from a family of um, women who love to cook. And I have an aunt who gave me a recipe when I was young, about 30 years ago. It was a recipe of the easiest apple pie to make. This apple pie only takes 10 minutes to make and it's eaten straight out of the oven. And to me, this is the most satisfying version of apple pie. And it just brings me a lot of comfort. So if I had the luxury of time, this is, this is what I would make. On the topic of home cooking, mm-hmm. what ingredients do you feel should always be present in the home? I would say um, butter, mm. good vinegar, good olive oil, and salt. Because I think even if these ingredients are, are very simple. Mm-hmm. You can whip up anything from a salad to a main course and, and make a dish amazing mm. using all these simple ingredients. And for you, what are the easiest things to cook at home? Basically, I feel um, breakfast would be the easiest thing to cook at home. But to be, to be more specific, I think a good French toast can practically be done by anyone. It can be, a French toast can, ta- can taste from simple to super amazing. Mm. Because with a French toast, it's, it sounds simple. But if you make it with really good brioche, mm-hmm. milk and eggs, yeah. this, can, this can easily make the breakfast totally amazing. It can, it can be a whole world of difference, you know, in terms of, of French toast. So I think French toast would be it. Moving on to the business aspect of things. What was mm-hmm. the most challenging aspect of running a restaurant during these times? Besides the fact that we are unable to physically seat clients, because Wildflower, as mm-hmm. you said in our earlier conversation, never closed down. Yes. You carried we, on working. We had no pause in operations wow. from the very start. Um, you know, when you eat in a restaurant, restaurants don't just offer food. They also offer the experience. Mm. And what is challenging for us is how to bring that experience to the homes, mm-hmm. to the comfort of the homes of our customers. Because, you know, once you, once you uh, pack food, it's not mm-hmm. 100% anymore. Yes. So that's, that's, that's one big challenge for us, how to recreate that experience that you have in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. And also, it's also very hard now because, you know, with all the restrictions, a lot of restaurants had to cease operations. In our case, we only um, were operating at the start with one branch, but now we're all almost all are open. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you have shortened hours, downsized staff, and very limited to pick up, take out, and delivery, right? So mm-hmm. this makes it very challenging because then we have to reach customers. Um, it's harder for us to reach customers now because now you're competing with all other restaurants that the customer can access online and on call instead of just those within the immediate proximity of your branch. So it takes a more, more effort to stand out and drive sales. Mm. So whereas before, it's just your neighborhood, you know, the one next door or, you know, yeah. at least two doors away. But now it's, it's the entire, um, entire what, uh, online restaurant. You have all these um, restaurants that are competing against each other. Yes. And, of, and of course, now, you know, there's, um, of course, of the slowdown of the economy. 
Mm-hmm. Um, this means people are more conscious about their spending yes. at the moment, and definitely, you know, the pri- they're more price sensitive mm-hmm. as well. I'm like that so, right now. Yeah. <laughs> so because it's it's been a long while already. Yes. Right? I yes. mean, if it were like two weeks, it's fine. But this is like it's been what we're already almost 80, 80 days. So lower sales generated as a whole makes it more difficult for a business to cover your expenses and to stay afloat. So mm. those are the the biggest challenges, and of course. You know, you also have the transportation issue, how to get mm-hmm. your, your workers to work, all these things. There's so many of them. So you raised these very um, interesting points. How were you able to respond so quickly to these peculiar and um, really kind of unbelievable issues that you nobody would have ever predicted that this is a sort of situation that we would ever find humanity in? Yeah, um, I think in, in terms of the restaurant, um, mm-hmm. in terms of we the restaurant. have always, um, you know, we've always prided ourselves to being, trying to be dynamic and always trying to evolve to better serve our customers, mm-hmm. despite mm-hmm. whatever setbacks or restrictions come along. So wow. it was sort of serendipitous that we were able to launch Wildflower to Go a few weeks before the lockdown took effect. So this sort of allowed us to tackle um, issues of not being able to accommodate dine-in more readily than others. As I said, you know, we had no pause in operations because right away yes. we were like, you know, you could, you were we were yeah. accessible. And it, I guess it took a lot of quick thinking and adapting for us to be able mm-hmm. to scale to this platform to meet the demands and to stay open throughout mm-hmm. the, this whole quarantine period. What is one of the main takeaways or insights that you have from running your business? One of the most important things that I've learned is that learning the ropes of running a business, I I think I mentioned this to you earlier, one of the um, Mm -hmm. early running a business is starting from a very young age. Um, Starting at a very young age would be very valuable in being a business owner later for me. That's very important. Um, You know, I used to spend summers in my Lola's province um, she was a politician, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. she she built the first bakery there and the first supermarket there in that city. Um, and you know, I would visit her every every summer just to all of us were, were we were forced to go there <laughs> just to spend time with our, our grandparents. So you know, I would I would um, do a little you know when you're at working there, and <laughs> one of mm-hmm. and I would uh, take breaks, and there was this little scramble station outside, a little scramble stand outside her, outside her um her supermarket, and I would buy scramble every single day from this vendor, and yeah. watching the vendor make and sell this very easy to make concoction, um, I I said you know it intrigued me, and I said me I can do that you know um so much that. I can put up my own scramble stand beside his. <laughs> so I did. I set no. it up. <laughs> so I, put a, I put a table. I was young. I think I was like less than, I wasn't even a teenager. So I put a table behind him. I bought an eye shaver, the, 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 the manual one. You know, I copied everything that he had because it looks so, so you simple. competed with him. So, <laughs> yeah. Kawawa, I felt so bad. Now thinking about it, I was so, I don't know. But what I thought would be a very easy way to make money turned out not to be easy. Really? And I eventually failed and closed up shop. No. So, so this, this little experience taught me even back then that putting up and running your own business is not as easy as it may seem. Mm-hmm. 
No, you cannot just copy something that sells and expect it to succeed. You cannot just set up in a high traffic location and expect to have customers. Mm-hmm. And you need to constantly work hard to improve your product and service to make it valuable mm-hmm. to win other customers. And, you know, because of this experience, I learned. I learned a lot. And what I learned from this simple experience from many years ago in my youth has stuck with me ever since. And it continues to be a lesson at the back of my mind as I run this this restaurant, and it's been eight years. So this is one of the first lessons I learned in business, and this I learned at a very young age. It's a very simple business, but I learned lessons in being original, mm-hmm. being creative, mm-hmm. choosing your location, <laughs> and even customer loyalty. So, you know, this is, for me, very, you know, I, I really, that's why I try to tell my kids up to now, you have to start working. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to learn the ropes. You can't, you know especially starting from the bottom for me is very important. Okay. And so the next question I wanted to ask is what is the most fulfilling thing about running your business? Okay. Aside from the satisfaction of being able to make good food and serve happy customers daily, hopefully (laughs) um, the most Mm. fulfilling thing about running this business is really seeing my employees grow and achieve the, Mm. you know, um, and, and, and achieve things that they would never have achieved if they weren't, if it weren't for the business. So I, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I always use this particular person. One very, one very inspiring example is a story of one of my longtime employees who has been with me since even before Wildflower. So before my, before putting up my own restaurant, I used to work at my family's um, wholesale office supplies business um, mm-hmm. This was office warehouse before we used to run mm-hmm. that, and you know we we had an especially friendly cargador who would pass mm-hmm. by my office every day, and I would see him, and he would ne- no fail. He would always smile and greet me every single day oh, when nice. I'd see him. And he wasn't even a high school graduate. Um, I'm not even sure if it's grade school, but um, seeing him able to put in the hard work with this smile and so much kindness really stood out in my mind. So, which is why when we were setting up Wildflower, I remembered him and thought it would be a good idea to try training him to be a baker. Try the wow. Let's see. He might be, he might be good. So even if he didn't have any prior experience, I, I hired him and more than eight years and thousands of breads bake later, this cargador has been our head baker at Wildflower for the past several wow. years. And Amazing. yeah, and still with his really great disposition and in spite of not having a background or a degree, he is working mm-hmm. hard to put bread on the table literally and figuratively and mm-hmm. is making the salary of an executive now. So wow. Yeah, this is just one of the many stories that that I've encountered while running the restaurant and just it just goes to show that that the best employees do not necessarily start as the brightest or the most skilled. They just need Mm -hmm. to have the right attitude. So um, if you're willing to learn and put in the hard work and have others believe that they are capable of achieving more to ultimately become the best they can be, then it's, it's great. Right. I mean, it's, it's very inspiring. So these, these things, when I go to work every day, really, it really inspires Mm me. And I want to talk to you a little bit about optimism and leadership because from my 
point of view, I believe that the reason Wildflower was able to quickly respond to the needs of the ECQ was also because they have, um, they have a strong leader. Thank you. I think your leadership <laughs> skills and your innate optimism that is rooted in a very realistic view mm-hmm. of things, a practical and pragmatic view of things, I think that really has helped how you've navigated this new situation. The obvious and understandable response would be to be very disheartened. And I found myself like that, panicked and disheartened. Seeing your, the fight in you, you know, you're fighting the good fight in the sense that you're keeping your kitchen open, you're keeping people employed, you're keeping people mm-hmm. fed, people at home who might be depressed and, you know, a chocolate cake is the only thing that will, you know, that's the small win of the day for them. Where do you think you learned this ability to be a good leader? I think I come from a family of very strong women. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my parents brought us up, all of us were eight siblings all in all, and they, they brought us up to be, you know, to, to fend for ourselves because we're a family of, of eight kids, six boys and two girls. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I think at, at a very young age, we were taught the value of hard work. Mm-hmm. And if you want something, you have to work far, hard mm-hmm. for it. You, it. Nothing was given to us in a silver, you know, in a, in a silver platter, everything we had to work hard mm-hmm. for. And I think this kind of discipline and this kind of, um, I, I think this mentality that our parents instilled in us is stuck with yeah. us. So I think in a way they, but they were very, um, they were very understanding, if very supportive. If we made mistakes, they were okay with it as long as we learned from it. So I, I, I really credit all of this whatever, leadership and, and the discipline and all that to, to my parents. Where do you think your optimism stems from? My optimism, I, I pray a lot. I get all my strength from prayer. And um, sometimes that's the only thing I really hold on to. My day starts with a prayer because I feel like my entire day will depend on whether I, I prayed or not or if, if you know, I, I stayed um, close to God. I meditate on God's word every day. What is it about God's that's, word, though, that makes... Because, I mean, I... I, I pray every night as well, but yeah. I don't have the because, same optimism like yeah. you do. Because, you know, when, when I read the Bible, it's, a Bible is, is, is a book that's full of promises from mm-hmm. God. And I hold on to those promises. So when there's something like there's a psalm that, that, that speaks to me, that, that resonates, I, I memorize it. And I just, you know, it, it, until it really is, you know, in my system until it, it's really all that I ever think about. And I, I focus on that and that's what I really hold on to. And I, I, you know, that's, I feel like I'm, 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 God is my father. And I, all, all, all I have to say is you're my dad. You promised me this. So I'm holding on to it. Why do you think that the culinary world seems to be male-dominated? And is it so in the Philippines? I think the male dominance is due to the fact that, you know, when you cook in a restaurant, it also tends to be very physical, a very physical mm. profession, which, um, where, you know, where, where male bodies tend to be more suited to and, you know, the exertion and strength needed to carry out some of the tasks in the kitchen may be too intense. Yes, and um, maybe rigorous for some women. Um, however, 
many women now have proven that they are capable of handling the physical intensity. Um, in our kitchen alone, we have a lot of women, and um, and this, which is why more women, including myself, have started to put up their mm-hmm. own restaurants as well, and you know, make their own names in the culinary world. So, um, yeah, um, I think that's the reason why it's more the you know the, the rigor and and you know the the physical the physicality of it that that makes it more male dominated. But I don't think it's the case mm-hmm. anymore. And um, I think this is changing, um, especially now. You also have more women entrepreneurs um, in the culinary sphere. You have a lot of women. I think now society is moving away from that outdated mm. idea that only women women can um, can only grow up to be yes. homemakers or mm-hmm. cooks <laughs> at home, and are now more than ever as capable leaders and given more freedom to yeah. strive to achieve their goals. Um, which is why you have more, um, you have, you know, been take, you, more women now have the initiative to make, you know, strides mm. in the culinary world. So I think, I think probably before mm-hmm. it was very male dominated, but now you see, even in our country, a lot of, uh, of women celebrity chefs, mm-hmm. you, you see all these um, high profile women. So it, I don't think it's the case anymore. The next question I wanted to ask you was if you wouldn't mind weighing in on the Alison Roman and Chrissy Teigen incident. For those of um, for those of us who are not so familiar with this um, incident, in a nutshell, Alison Roman and Chrissy Teigen got into a Twitter fight over comments Alison Roman made about Chrissy Teigen. This issue was exacerbated by the fact that Alison Roman also made a comment about Mary Kondo who, like Chrissy Teigen, and is ethnically Asian. And um, they're both wildly successful. And it struck a chord with many people because Alison Roman singled out two Asian women and was very disparaging over their success. Mm-hmm. Could I please ask you to comment on this incident? Okay. Um, before I get into this, um, I want to say that for me, more than being successful... A business at its core should have integrity mm. and to bring your business up without tearing anyone else down. Mm-hmm. So in response to the incident between Alison Roman and Chrissy Teigen, I want to focus on the fact that I admire both women very much for, for sticking to their integrity throughout the whole situation. It seemed to me like Alison humbled herself and admitted her faults and profusely apologized to Chrissy for the things she said that um, that caused Chrissy pain. Mm-hmm. And on Chrissy's part, she also humbly accepted the apology and ended the feud there. Mm-hmm. You know, you have others with lesser character who would probably have held on to their pride and kept the issue going. Mm-hmm. So um, here, humility and integrity are values that mm-hmm. every businesswoman, chef, or decent person mm-hmm. should have. And um, these women exemplified this amidst the controversy and you know the storm surrounding all this. Is there another female chef in the Manila landscape that you admire? A lot of my basic knowledge, a lot of my foundation in cooking and baking, well, more baking, was really from her. Um, mm. And I don't even know if she still teaches. Silvia Reynoso Gala. Oh, yes. She's so a legend. She, yeah, and she, I enjoyed her classes. And in a way, she kind of inspired me. 
Mm. So it was um um because I I was able to to make all these cakes with her recipes that were all foolproof because sometimes they give you recipes that are not really you know um so I I would say Sylvia Reynoso Gala was one of them and mm. um she she um she really inspired me a yeah. lot. And of uh, another one is Henny Season. Henny Season. She's also I an instructor. I love her. And Henny Season is also one of those um, yeah people who I, I I learned a lot from. And she's a very good instructor. She I, mm. she teaches very well. She's and one her, of my mother's very good friends. Great. I mean, she's very good recipes. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, she literally she she made all of our wedding cakes. Ah, yeah. As we approach a modified reality, I wanted to ask you where you believe we'll be going from here in terms of the food and restaurant industry, right? Like, mm-hmm. what advice can you give mm-hmm. other restaurants about how to make things mm-hmm. work in this modified reality? I firmly believe that restaurants and good food will always have a place in the world and will survive beyond this mm-hmm. crisis. But to make that happen, restaurant owners need to be very you know, they need to be ready to make major changes to the way they operate while staying true to the core mm-hmm. of the business. I think the best advice I can give is to always trust in your instincts and keep up to date with what's happening around the world so that you will be ready, prepared to shift your business strategy and respond to anything that comes your way. There, you know, there's no tried and tested playbook to dealing with mm-hmm. this crisis. We, none of us ever knew that this would happen and we're never prepared for anything like this. So you have to continuously develop your business in a way that works for you and adapt without having to compromise your brand or whatever products you're, you offer. We're going to go on our final question. What is your prediction for the future of your industry? What is the best way to thrive in this environment for restaurants? Okay, um, I believe, and I, I'm sure, um, this industry will survive the crisis. Mm. I'm a big believer in, in, um, in the Stockdale paradox. It says you have to believe that you will prevail in the end despite the difficulties. And at the same time, confront the brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they may be. Wow. So you cannot let fear paralyze or halt your progress. You have to, as I said earlier, you have to trust your instincts Face the situation bravely. Be quick on your feet and adapt. These are very important. Mm-hmm. And as I as I said, I believe maybe that the F&B industry will survive this crisis. I'm hoping by the Burr months, we're back to normal. Mm-hmm. But a lot of restaurants will close for sure. So what is really important is for you to stay relevant and do everything you can to stand out. Mm-hmm. Restaurants will be able to thrive if... if um, if you're able to re- to you know to evolve or reinvent your approach to fit the times mm-hmm. that's very important yeah. you have to be very creative as well so this these things will be very key in weathering the storms mm-hmm. and i think that you've weathered and you continue to weather the storm that we're in so exceptionally well i don't know many people male or female who have been so responsive, so positively responsive at a time when everything feels heavy and negative. When it feels like you, there's very little to no movement happening, you were able to move mm-hmm. 
people, food, resources. It, I think hats off to you and um, huge fan of yours. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I think it's important at a time like this, if you really want to su- survive, you really have to be in ground zero. <laughs> mm. You have to know what's going on because I know it's hard. You have to stay home. I was staying home, but again, you have to communicate. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to be able to communicate yes, yes. whatever it is that you want with your staff, with everybody, mm-hmm. so that you're all on the same page. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of have, the, I think, the attitude that you have, that non-defeatist attitude, the fighting attitude, um, it's rare, and I hope that um, I hope that it inspires more people to take up the good fight. Mm-hmm. And that good fight is this: the fight for survival, and how you mm-hmm. s- your company um, really thrives. So, thank you so much, Anna, for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate having you here today with us. Thank you, Jet. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the Unlock Philippines podcast. We're definitely learning as we go along as this is a homegrown and homespun effort using whatever tools are available to us at the moment. We hope you found this uplifting and useful. And if you'd like to reach out to us, we are at unlockph.podcast at gmail.com. See you next week.